and the skate church staff, uh, their volunteers, they just had an influence over our whole student body. And I think when I was there, it was like 600 or maybe 800 students. It wasn't, it wasn't big, so it, it wasn't hard for them to, to have an, an influence um, on our campus. And part of it was, too, like, they were just fun. Like, skaters, they are not worried like the rest of the world, I think. Skaters, are, they knew how to have a good time, and, and going to Bible college with them was great. And you could always tell who was a part of Skate Church. And it wasn't because they held a skateboard. Um, there, there were plenty of people that, that volunteered with Skate Church that actually didn't know how to skate. Um, and it wasn't because they said rad, though they did say that. And to this day, I still say rad with all sincerity because of my Skate Church friends. But the way you could tell someone was a part of the Skate Church like culture was how they prayed. They, they had, um, there were several things to their prayers, and I used to do a pretty great impression of their prayers, um, but it's been so long, I don't remember everything. I remember there was a cadence to their prayers. There was a lot of like exhales. They're like, Lord, and a pause. But the, the dead giveaway, though, that you worked with Skate Church was your phrases, they would kind of, the pitch would like scoop up at the end. So it'd be something like, Lord, we thank you for this day. And, and it wasn't every line, but it was multiple times throughout the prayer. And, and you're like, oh, you must work with Skate Church. Uh, and in some ways, it was a joke. Like, obviously, I did an impersonation of it. My friends laughed. But it was actually pretty neat that, um, that they all ended up kind of praying similarly to one another. They weren't trying, like no one wanted to scoop up the end of their phrases. It was kind of weird. Um, but I think it was a byproduct of, of these people being together a lot. And, and I think it pointed to the people in this ministry prayed together a lot. When you're with people for a lot of time, over a lot of years, you impact each other. You, you become like one another for better or for worse. I'm sure you've observ observed this either in your life or, or in the lives of people around you. You pick up on mannerisms of other people. You, you say things like your friends do. Um, I have a buddy that we, we did youth ministry for years and years together, and we, we have we laugh like each other, um, and it's, I hate it, actually. It's, it, I mean, you have different laughs, you know, and there's this one laugh I do, it, it annoys me, and I blame him. I'm like, man, I laugh so much like you, and he's like, no way. I laugh like you, and I hate it, too, and it, we're impacted by the people that, that we, we're around, and we feel this as Christians living in this world, but we want to be more and more like Jesus and yet we battle a world that is trying to make us more and more like the world itself and not like Jesus. So Christians can go to a couple extremes here. You can have the Christians that, that basically try to hide out and, and be nothing like the world at all. Like, like they have their own compound. They're not even around anyone or anything of the world. And, and then you've got Christians that, that do everything they can to be as connected as, to the world connected to the world as possible, but to the point that, that there's no perceivable difference between them and their counterparts who don't know Jesus. So there's this tension that if you're a believer in Christ, I'm sure you feel in following Jesus and, and, and wanting to be more and more like Christ and navigating a world that really is trying to pull you from Jesus in, in any way possible, a world that you're called to reach with the good news of the gospel 
So our series this summer, uh, as you probably noticed on your bulletin, is titled Transformed, Not Conformed. And um, you, you probably recognize that, you may recognize that from Paul in Romans chapter 12, which we'll get into today. But we need to be transformed um, by the renewing of our minds, which God does through his word. The Holy Spirit transforms us through the Bible. Without God transforming us, we will conform to the world. The world is really good to conforming us to its ways. You may remember back when we were in John chapter 17, several months ago, Jesus prays for his followers, and it is a beautiful prayer. One of the things he says is that like him, we're not of the world. Christians are, are to be different from the world. We are to be distinct as followers of Jesus. He also says that he's not asking the Father to remove us from the world, right? Even though we're called to be different, he, he doesn't say, hey, God, I got him saved. Get him out of here. But he, he asks that God would keep us from the evil one. He also asks God to sanctify us in truth. And when we think sanctify, we probably think purify uh, or, or setting apart. When I, when I think of sanctify, I think of our sanctification in life, that, that through life, God is making the Christian more and more into the image of Jesus. But like I said, sanctify also means set apart. As disciples of Jesus, there's supposed to be this set apartness that is, that is who we are, that is in us from this world. And then he says that, that as the Father sent Jesus into the world, so Jesus is sending us into the world. We're called to be different from the world. We're called to be set apart from the world. We're called to be sent into the world as Christians. And I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase, be in the world but not of the world, which comes from John 17. A man named uh, David Mathis rephrased that phrase, and I actually like what he said a lot better. Rather than be in the world but not of the world, he said, be not of but sent into. And I think that's really helpful, his emphasis, be not of but sent into. Uh, because the other way, we could, we could feel like, okay, I just, I need to hide from the world. That's my mission, to be nothing like the world. And yet, that isn't our mission. Yeah, we're not to be like the world, but we are sent into the world. John 17, Jesus is really clear about that. I appreciate Paul's uh, description of, of him being sent. His kind of his mindset in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means... I might save some. Paul knew he was sent into the world. He longed for people to respond to the good news of the gospel. And here in Romans 12, Paul tells us that we're not to be conformed to this world. We're not to fit into the mold of this world, the ways that, that the world thinks, the, the values of this world, the viewpoints of this world. The attitudes, the perspectives, we're not to conform. Instead, he says that we are to be transformed. We need the Spirit to transform us by the Word. And this is something that we need constantly. We need this consistently. 
It's challenging to be in this world as you feel the pull of this world. It, it would be great if there was just like a checklist in the Bible of like, okay, this is exactly how I live in the world. And, and he does. God gives us plenty of principles. But we can't just go, okay, this, 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 and that. God causes us to be dependent on him because he doesn't give us exactly how to navigate every tricky situation in our culture. As we talk with coworkers who don't know Christ or a neighbor that we're trying to love or maybe a family member that you desperately love and yet they want nothing to do with Jesus. We need God to transform us by the renewing of our minds, which is not a one-time thing, as you know. It's a daily need. It's a moment-by-moment -moment need for God to change us from the inside out. So over the summer, over the next couple months, we're going to zone in on some specific areas in life that we want, we want God to transform our minds, to renew our minds rather than us being conformed to the views of our culture and the values of our culture we want to love to live how we ought to live because God is making us more and more into the likeness of his son. So Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul says he's making an appeal to us. He's He's urging us, he's pleading with us for how we're to live our lives as Christ's followers. Uh, I read someone that said that Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the summary of the Christian life. Then Paul says, therefore, and any time in scripture you see therefore, this is cheesy, but it helps you remember, you have to ask what the therefore is there for, okay? So he's connecting us back to something that he's already said. And in this case, it's chapters 1 through 11, which we didn't just go through, uh, but we're lucky. Paul uh, very succinctly sums it up for us in the next words. He says, by the mercies of God. Piper said that, that this is Paul's shorthand for chapters 1 through 11. Romans 1 through 11 are packed. I mean, the whole book is packed. It's dense. It's thick. It is it is good. It is a hearty meal, right? It's not just a little appetizer Paul gives us. And, and so maybe you'd be surprised to hear that, 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 that Paul gives this summary for those 11 chapters. Right? Maybe verses like Romans 3.23 come to mind. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Do you know verse 24? And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I was convicted several weeks ago. I've known Romans 3.23 for probably 25 years. And yet I've never memorized the good news of verse 24. Paul's letter to the Romans, it's really a masterful explanation of the gospel. Like we talked about last week. We need the full picture, right? We need to understand God's wrath against sin. We need to understand judgment. We need to understand hell because it helps us realize the amazing grace that God has for us, the, the, the unfathomable mercy. ETV students, they're going to camp 
Um, I love the stars at ETV because there are not lights out there. It is so dark. And that darkness lets you see stars like they should be seen. In the city, I mean, we're not even in the city. We're in the burbs. And still, all the light that we have, it, it, it diminishes how awesome the night sky is. But you guys this week will see how incredible the stars are against that night sky, that darkness. And it's because Paul does a great job in Romans 1 through 11 of explaining how badly we need a God, that we were dead in sin, that we can see how merciful God is by offering Jesus, by Jesus giving himself up for us on the cross so that we can be forgiven if we would ask him to forgive us. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is, what he, this is how he describes him, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. If we worship the Father of mercies, I think we should be a people marked by mercy. As we live lives that are not of this world but sent into this world, we should be a people of mercy. And being merciful towards others is the greatest way we can display the mercy of God. All of chapter 12 just drips with mercy listen to this, and sometimes it will specifically say mercy, but, but sometimes that's just what it's talking about. Verse 8, the one who does acts of mercy, let him do it with cheerfulness. Verse 9, let love be genuine. 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. 14, bless those who persecute you. 15, weep with those who weep. 16, associate with the lowly. 17, repay no one evil for evil. 19, never avenge yourselves. 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. He tells us all these merciful things we are to do because we worship a God that has given us mercy beyond our comprehension. The only way we can live lives that are full of mercy, lives that point to a God of mercy, is to be rooted in the God who is merciful. Someone put it this way, from him we got mercy, through him we live in mercy, and to him we glorify him for his mercy. So in a world that is corrupted by sin, and I mean a world that is super saturated in sin, we're to be a people pointing to the father of mercy who saves us from sin. The God who came in the flesh to save the world, to save us, who without him we are enslaved to our sin. We ought to be a people that point to this merciful God. But what Paul's about to say to us is based on how merciful God is. So he says, again, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, and this is it, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. If you've been in church for probably at least, I don't know, a couple years, you've heard these verses a lot. You, you know this phrase, even if you didn't know it's from Romans 12, you know that you're to be a living sacrifice. I probably don't have to tell you that this means that we give to Jesus all that we are, right? The, the totality of ourselves. Christians, we know this. But the question that we have to come back to over and over again is, are we doing it? Are we living this way? Maybe we lived that way at one time, but over time, have we started to take back things from Jesus that we decide we really like control over, or we really, we really still want to dabble in that sometimes? We aren't to just give 
Jesus 95% of who we are. We're to give him every part of who we are. We aren't just a Christian on Sundays or at home or when we're hanging out with Christian friends. Paul says we're to sacrifice all of who we are to Jesus. This is our thought life. This is how you, this is how you handle money and business. This is your sexuality, your friendships. This is how you entertain yourself. This is your leisure. This is how you post on social media. We're to give it all to him. The totality of yourself is to be sacrificed to Jesus. And this is a sweet aroma to Christ. He's worthy of all we are. And actually, he's worthy more than we can even give him. He says living sacrifice. And I don't know if that has caught your attention before. I've never heard of a sacrifice that lived before. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament died. If someone today was to say they, they sacrificed something, it means that, that, uh, that it was lost or gone or forfeited, given up, right? So I could say um, I could say I sacrificed my weekend to help my buddy move. And you know what that means. It means I didn't get to do the things that I normally would have done. Maybe I didn't get to sleep in or I didn't get to go for a jog or whatever it is you would normally do. I, I sacrificed that to help him move. So it's gone. But here Paul calls us to be a living sacrifice. I know of no other sacrifice that gets to keep on living. Well, only God, only God would do that and could do that. I, I think this points to God's mercy that we offer ourselves up as a sacrifice. And yes, we do die to our old self, most certainly. And yet we live in Christ. We truly live. Uh, the, the preacher, D.L. Moody, uh, who maybe you've heard of him, uh, he was at some kind of Christian gathering. There was a speaker speaking. He caught up with him after the man spoke. And the, the man said to D.L. Moody, the world, something along the lines of, the world is yet to see a heart fully devoted to God. And D.L. Moody, the next day, came back to that guy, and he said, those words had burned into my soul. And then he said, I aim to be that man. Offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, Paul says, this, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is how we show God's worth. This is how we remind one another of God's worth. This is how we show an unbelieving world God's worth. And Paul says all this is in light of the mercy that he laid out in the first 11 chapters. So the Christ follower responding by giving themselves in totality to God is a response of worship. The Christian life is about Jesus. Jesus is not some add-on. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20 have been very helpful to me for years. Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Jesus followers, do you think, do you live like you are your own? You're God's. He has purchased you. Paul tells us, that, that this living sacrifice is holy or set apart. It's acceptable to the Lord. Are you set apart for God? So often when I think of the word holy, I don't know why, but it takes me back to, uh, to the tabernacle, to the temple, where the um, utensils are listed off. And, and the one that always pops in my memory is the shovel. right? The shovel that, that's there to scoop the ashes out from the burnt offering 
and it's, it's called holy. And it's not because the shovel is this spiritual thing, right? God didn't, like, that's not a Christian shovel. It, it didn't get saved. It won't be in heaven, I'm guessing. Um, what, it's called holy because it was only used for that. It was set apart for that use. Would your life be described as being holy, as set apart? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So throughout this series, this is, this is the foundation, that we don't want to be conformed to think like the world, to live like the world, to value what the world values, to treasure what the world values, but, but to be transformed by the Holy Spirit through the word. So he says, do not be conformed. The only other time this, uh, the Greek word comes up in the New Testament for conformed is in 1 Peter 1.14. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's what, that's, that's what your mind is like. So before Christ, we used to fit the mold of the world to a T. We followed the world. We thought like the world. We loved what the world loved. But in Christ that is no longer who we are as he transforms us. Think about the state of our minds before Christ. Do you remember how you thought without Christ? Romans 1.28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Do you remember what you thought was good before you trusted Jesus? This... Uh, is ridiculous, but I didn't know that there was a real maple syrup until well into my 20s, right? I, I'd been married for years. I thought Mrs. Butterworth was the real deal and that she was doing a darn good job. <laughs> Lindsay one day brought home from the grocery store, she just felt like splurging, I guess. She brought home real maple syrup, and I was mocking the label. I'm <laughs> like, real? <laughs> what? <laughs> she blew my little mind in the next couple minutes here as she explained to me that what I'd been having my whole life was just man-made. <laughs> I don't even know what they made it out of. So I tasted it like right away. I didn't even have like a pancake or, or anything to taste it with. I'm like, I've got to try this. I couldn't believe what I thought was good before. I couldn't believe that I thought Mrs. Butterworth or whatever knockoff I bought was good. Our minds like that are kind of like that before Christ. Like, we think we know what life is. We think we know what is good. We think that we're really living, but we're ignorant to what life is, the life that God has always intended for us to live in him. Then God draws us into relationship with him. We trust in Jesus as our Savior from sin. He gives us life. John, John 3 is born again, or life from above, life from heaven. And then at some point after you've been following Jesus for a bit, you look back and you're like, oh my goodness, I thought that was life. I thought those things were good. Several weeks ago when Matt preached, he shared a little bit about his life 
before Christ, that, that he was partying, that, that he was living just a wild life, drinking, sleeping around. And in the moment, he enjoyed what he was doing. But like he said, it was fleeting. It, it, it never really satisfied him. It, it, it felt good. And then it left him with this emptiness. Before I met Jesus, um, my aim was different. I was just trying to live a really moral life. I was trying to look like I was a really good person, and I, and I really did want to be a good person, uh, but I also knew that I wasn't, that, that my sin, uh, that I wasn't a good person at all. N- neither Matt's life before Christ or, or my life before Christ were good. They're both knockoffs. Both of us look back and realize that what we were living for was not the real deal. What we were living for was not life in Christ. And the world tries to convince you in every way that you're living. If you don't know Jesus, maybe you relate to what Matt shared uh, about feeling good for a moment in this thing that you thought was good, but then being left empty. The world tries to convince us that life without Jesus is great. And then you meet Jesus And sort of like I did with the syrup, you can't believe what you used to think was good. Because now you have life in Christ. Our minds before Jesus were marked with ignorance. A darkened understanding of futility. 1 John 2.15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When we let the world conform us to itself, We are useless and ineffective Christians in a world that desperately needs Christians to share the good news of the gospel. So Paul tells us that rather than being conformed, we're to be transformed. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The Greek verb for transformed is connected to our English word metamorphosis. So this is a total transformation from the inside out. God is changing who we are inside and out. Last week after the service, I was talking uh, to someone, and he he was telling me, uh, basically he was testifying to how God was changing what he loved. He, he, he was telling me like these, there are these sins that, that he used to love. And, and even as a Christian, like he just wanted those things so much. But he was realizing that over time, those things are becoming less and less desirable. Like, yeah, temptation's still there. I'm not saying he doesn't battle with the flesh. But he, he realized like how God was changing that in him. And I heard someone once describe it that God changes our tastes. Or it's like he changes our palate to, from a palate that, that just loves the things of this world to loving what God loves. A, a palate that, that loves to please him, that has a taste for that. But being transformed isn't just a change in behaviors, right? right? You can behave differently from the world and not be transformed at all. You can cut out behaviors of this world and not be transformed by God. Paul tells us that to be transformed, this happens by a renewal of our mind. This is a transformation, like I said, from the inside out. The Holy Spirit transforms us through the truth of God, through his word. The Holy Spirit opens God's word to us to transform our minds as he makes us more and more like Christ. He transforms our desires so that we want what God wants, so that so that our hearts beat to please God. So Christians, are you allowing God to transform you by the renewal of your mind? 
if you look back over this last year, would you say that your mind has been transformed to be more and more like Christ or not? High school students going to ETV, I am, uh, I'm a little bit jealous that, that I don't get to be there with you for the whole week. Uh, you, you have a great opportunity here, but as you look back over this last year, would you say you've grown in Jesus or have you become stagnant? Maybe you've realized that this year you became more conformed to this world than, than you had noticed. Well, I'm excited for you to be at camp for a week. You're going to have a whole week to spend time in God's word through, through a lot of different venues. You'll have sessions at night, forums in the day, times to discuss with, with your tent group. And I'd encourage you not to waste this week, but to give God your attention, to carve out time each day to spend time with him, right? Like sacrifice a little bit of hanging out with your friends just to be with the Lord, to think and pray what the, what the speaker's talking about, what the forums are about. Ask God to transform your mind. The rest of us don't get to go to camp, and yet we still have opportunity this week. If you haven't been in the Word, start this week. Start this week. Fight the temptation to make it a spiritual checklist thing, but get in God's Word. Ask God to transform you by the renewal of your mind as you get into Scripture and I know that getting into the Bible uh, it can be challenging, right? There are times when it's easy to read the Word, and then for whatever reason, there are times when it's hard, it's a fight, it's a battle, but I encourage you to fight. You need God's Word like you need food and water, right? Like, I, I can get in, zoned into work and miss a meal, not even know it, and I'll come home just, just famished, and Lynn's like, what did you eat for lunch? I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot blows your mind that I can do that, but I'm sure several of you are that way, or you could, you could fast for a couple days, but eventually you need food. Eventually, we have to drink water. We need God's word even more. In a few weeks, actually, one of our sermons is just going to focus on what a gift God's word is to us, the, the, what, a, what, a, what a tool God has given us by giving us his word, how desperately we need it. But for today, I encourage you to find a way to make the Bible a part of your everyday life. And, and maybe that means you ask a friend, like, hey, could we, could we read a book together of the Bible? Um, or maybe you decide, hey, let, let's, let's try and start a Bible read-through together. Um, this might even be asking someone, and, and this could be embarrassing for you if you've been in church for a while. Um, this could be embarrassing to tell someone, like, you know what, I don't really know how to study my Bible. And I think that there are more and more people in every church than you would imagine that feel that way. They just feel like they don't know the basic tools. Man, find someone that's godly, someone that loves God's word. I guarantee that they could give you a couple simple tools that would change how you read the Bible. We have to let God transform us through his word daily. It is critical in following Jesus. We have to be shaped by the Bible. One uh, person wrote about how critical the renewal of our mind is in this way. He said, if you long to break loose from conformity to the world, if you long to be transformed and new from the inside out, if you long to be freed from mere duty-driven Christianity and do uh, what you love to do because what you love to do is what you ought to do, if you long to offer up your bodies a living sacrifice so that your whole life 
becomes a spiritual act of worship and displays the worth of Christ above the worth of the world, then give yourself with all your might to pursuing this, the renewal of your mind, because the Bible says this is the key to transformation. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let me read from Psalm chapter 1, or not chapter 1, the first Psalm, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to close with this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Day and night. This is the only way. As someone said, we become what we behold. Are we beholding Jesus and letting him transform us? Let's pray. Lord, you are so gracious to us. You are full of mercy beyond what we can even comprehend. Lord, we think we're often embarrassed by our following of you, Jesus. Uh, and yet, even there, you're full of grace and mercy. Lord, you know that we struggle. You know how hard it is. And, and yet, that struggle makes us want to hide that from other believers. Lord, would we be honest about where we are? Would we be honest that we need help, Jesus, in following you? God, would we be a people that are marked by loving your truth, Lord? Would we be a people that, that as we live in a culture that is, it's, it's getting tricky, Lord. It's getting harder and harder. It's always been hard. It feels hard right now. Would you help us, Lord, to not be conformed to this culture, but be transformed in our minds, Lord? Would you renew our minds? Jesus, we love you. We want to live lives that, that are, are set apart for you, that are marked by the God of mercy that, that cannot wait to tell others the good news, the hope that we have in you, Jesus. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.